Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Be Real, guys. After a week-long hiatus, I just feel like I missed... You know what? I missed hello, recording yes, this hello. podcast so much with Chance Solem Pfeiffer, my co-host. I'm Noah Ballard. I fucking forgot to hit the record button for the past, like, 40 minutes, I think. Yeah, it's all right. We, we had a I'm, good 39-minute... We had a good, like, 40 minutes of, like, pretty solid banter, and it was it was nice. We were all the way to the end of our conclusive talk about Eternal Sunshine. Um, yeah, it was interesting, though. It was fun. But, like, now that we've had a chance to practice, we're, like, we're really on now. And the movies we're going to be discussing today, I came up with the brilliant idea of Inside the Human Mind, so we're going to do... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, The Cell, the Jennifer Lopez movie, and Inside Out, because that's going to be our contemporary one, the reason you listen all the way to the end. There you go. Let's shake things up. Let's hear from our sponsor. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Be Real Guys, today is brought to you by Lacuna Inc. Are you troubled by a breakup with a manic pixie dream girl? Can you get any work done while thinking about your dead dog? Perhaps you've been cut from the bowling team. Well, Lacuna Inc. is here to help. With a simple invasive procedure conveniently conducted in our somewhat dilapidated offices on Long Island and your own sad studio apartment, we can erase memories you don't want anymore. Pioneered by Dr. Howard Mirzwiak, a vaguely incompetent serial cheater who undoubtedly created this process for his own selfish gains, Lacuna Inc. promises full satisfaction. But hell, even if you aren't satisfied, you won't fucking remember anyway, and we'll make sure to notify your loved ones not to remind you. Discretion is a must for Lacuna. We make sure to clean thoroughly once we've finished the procedure, though we've been known to steal your undergarments and stalk you retroactively, talking, taking the knowledge we've gleaned about your personality to force awkward romantic encounters that you vaguely remember having. But you're not sure, are you? Our trained technicians will be involved through every step of the process, from haphazardly throwing our equipment in the back of a truck, judging the smell of your home or drinking your booze, getting high, discussing the significance of the clash, and ultimately fucking while you lie there in a chemical stupor wishing you could call the whole thing off. Our team of hipster scientists will never leave your side. Lacuna Inc. Because if we have to erase a tender moment from your childhood to prevent you from possibly learning something about intimacy or becoming a better human being through reflecting on your experiences, then that's the price, isn't it? Do you have a coupon? Sorry, friends. That offer expired after the new year. Lacuna Inc. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Chance, you want to do the plot and then I'll interrupt you halfway through? <laughs> sure thing. It's the 2004 Michelle Gondry-directed movie written by Charlie Kaufman. 
See, that's what the second chance uh, affords you, Chance, is the peace of mind that you can not mispronounce the director right. Al- of the movie you're talking Allegedly, about. Allegedly, I referred to him as Michel Gondry in the first Yeah, time. the Israeli sort of like pro, you know, whatever right. director. No, he is from France and pronounced Michel. Yeah. Basically, it is about two people uh, who are deeply unhappy in their relationship and the woman played by Kate Winslet first chooses to have her memory of the man played by Jim Carrey wiped by a sort of like DIY startup organization called Lacuna Inc. who graciously chose to sponsor this podcast and after a pretty harrowing interaction in which she doesn't remember Jim Carrey in public he decides to have the same thing done goes to the office, has the whole thing kind of explained to him, uh, and he's basically put under at his apartment after creating a map of all his memories for the company. And then in reverse order of the breakup to them first meeting, they wipe his memories one by one. About halfway through, he doesn't like this because that's a very alien... Can you hear me? I don't want this anymore. I want to call it off. Don't want to call it off. Can you hear me? I don't want this anymore. I want to call it off. This, can I tip my hand pretty early, Chance? I'm really. I'm not going to play coy on the second round. Do it. I love this movie, and it's not because of like the premise of it, which we discussed in depth. You can look, you can listen to it back in my mind. Um, <laughs> Chance, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. Would you do this procedure? Great question. Absolutely not. You don't think you would? No. Like you've never been I can definitely I've I mean we've both before. We've both been through breakups. We can level about that. Hmm. It, this movie is wise in the way that it sort of shows how breakups are, and they can be like I mean, they can be pretty painful. Like, you've never been at a point where you just, like... I've had those evenings where I'm just like, you know, if I could just cut it out, like Eternal Sunshine, that would be... That'd be great. I... No, I've I've never been there. Never once. Stop. People want to know about your ethos. I get texts about that. Like, who is this guy? Who is this Chance? They want to know more about you. They're like, you're an open book, Noah. I'm the Kate Winslet, so you're Joel Barish. Just because you talk all the time doesn't mean you're communicating. That was your line. That's incredible. What's up? Okay. I'm high-fiving you over 1,500 miles. Thanks, buddy. Um, Yeah. No, I I definitely see where this is, where the, the premise of this movie works because the exterior comment about it is that people entering into and exiting relationships are always repeating themselves, whether it's in their right. own mannerisms or in the types of people that they're attracted to. Because, again, spoiler, but it's an old movie at this point. At the, at the, at the end of everything, like these two people who've had their memories wiped and just have these sort of faint, lingering connections as they've re-met, they give it another go. And, uh, right. you know, it's, it's not that different ultimately between the exact same people trying to reconnect having known their mistakes and two people in the outside world you know meeting who've never met before who are aware of their own failures 
But I think it's interesting too, and I think it's a thing that links all three of the movies is the idea of like you will almost like this idea of you will be set free if you let something go. Like in in the politics of all these movies, or in like the opinions of all these movies, if if you let something go, yeah, like that's just what makes you a healthy person. But this movie is like, but it shows people who just won't let go. Don't ever leave me. Please let me keep this memory. Just this one. Well, I just think it's so interesting of all three of these movies that just the way they believe that the human mind is organized. Yeah. And like the fact that not only is this incidental, but like a lot of time and effort in pre-production I was reading in all three of these movies went to, well, what does the human mind look like? For sure. And so I think for this one, don't you agree that Michel Gondry in his mind believes that memories work like Polaroid photographs? Yeah, laid out in order. Because he believes that they sort of leave an impression over a time and then you see them more clearly later. But then, of course, like they will, they're physical things and they can be tampered with. Agreed. The difference between yeah. this movie and the other two movies is that this movie makes no attempt to imagine the mind as its own geographical place. Um, right. It's, well, it's, it kind of is, though. Like, well, think about it. When we get to the cell, we'll talk about that, too. But I feel like the geography of this movie, I, I would say all three of them are pretty similar. Like, they're going to somewhat vague locations because they don't actually exist. I don't... And that's what I think is so great about some of these shots of Eternal Sunshine, because he'll, like, walk right from a bookstore into a fucking like living room and it's awesome. I partially agree with you, but eternal sunshine is laid out like a train car where you can sometimes push against the corners of it. But when you do push and you find these sort of like the childhood memories and the moments of embarrassment, you also find sort of like the odder, the things that Kaufman is really interested in, like psychoanalytic things, like these sort of like really brief dreamscapes where people have no faces. I think the character, right. Elijah Wood, the character of Patrick, plays, a really, oh, yeah. plays an interesting role in this because he represents this like sort of legendary thing that comes up in dreams, like this, this man that you can't ever see. He only ever surprises you and you turn to see him and then he's not really there. You only right, know because you there. only your memory is only the back of his head. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, don't you think it was funny too? And if you haven't seen this movie twenty times like I have, you probably wouldn't notice this. But when Tom Wilkinson, uh, when he asks who's that, referring to Elijah Wood, he says Patrick, baby boy, because he's <laughs> imitating the way that Clementine had said it in that previous scene. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Like, because that's the memory of his name. Yeah. It's so it's such an interesting little moment there. It goes without saying, but certainly Kaufman has the most theoretical and literary view of the human mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's totally what that is. This is just a guy who's read a shit ton of postmodern philosophy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What I like about the relationship that we see, although it lacks sort of like a sexual component to it. It doesn't really address sexual intimacy at all. But other than that, I mean, if we saw more of this, like, I feel like it would almost be too much that we kind of cherish, like, the brevity of these moments. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it, 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 it rings really true 
because like that's how I mean at least for me how I experience memories it's not in like a 10 minute sequence it's in like you know fits and starts and and it's but it's also what makes this movie simple too in right Kaufman's like in his list of thing list of movies that he has written um, right well they're all premise movies and I'll make that argument again is that <laughs> all of his movies you can sum up in like what would happen if yeah. kind of things like what would happen if you could delete memories what would happen if you had a door that led into john malkovich's personality what if you could raise a human in the wild what if uh you had to write uh the movie adaptation for the orchid thief by susan orlean like they're all like what if situations but then i will go ahead and make the point again that this is the only movie in his writing credits that is interested in following through on that premise to oh yeah any sort of answer all the other ones ultimately expand into a semicircle of a a million different like trails and everything this is the only one that will come back and is interested in answering its central question is it good possible plausible ethical to wipe a hurtful memory out of your brain and then maybe come back to it well i think that's like it's also good because i feel like the charlie kaufman spike jones movies like adaptation and uh being john malkovich like the two of them just like wind each other up and they like (laughs) i don't know if they ever find like real i don't know i feel like those movies are interesting whereas this one is just like feeling like this one has a pulse like the other ones are just like interesting sort of experiments hmm I, I definitely I see no I know what you're talking about, right? But I feel like it's a good combination with Michelle Gondry and, uh, or at least what Michelle Gondry's vision for this was, and I think that's because he like had a hand in writing the story for this, mm-hmm. so they were still on like this they were sort of on the same page. Yeah. But another, anyway, another thing well, we, you wouldn't erase an ex girlfriend chance. Uh. Let things go. That's the purpose of this film. How are you going to do it for the short story if you let things go? Got to do it for the short story. You got to do it for the that's, short story. That's a life philosophy that we we uh, subscribe to here on Be Real Guys. Is do it for the short story. If you're ever in a moral crisis, it's like, should I do that? It's like, well, could you get a good short story out of it? You should probably do it. Another thing I think we should bring up again that I want to let you bounce off on in a second because I know you have something to say about it is that I think this movie is it's it's question it's resolution or not resolution of the question like should yeah. should Winslet and Carrie should Clementine and Joel try this again is complicated and made more interesting and made more dire by the fact that they're not really healthy people and ev- right. everything that you experience about this relationship as you're diving back into the memories is the fact that we they were sort of briefly codependent in a really isolated way like they did nothing but spend time together and at the end of the day you sort of saw that they'd both seen through each other's initial facades which was her sort of manic pixie dream girlness and his sort of quiet aloofness but they hadn't really gotten to know each other there was no element in which they had like socialized with other people, and that was an important right. part of their relationship. So there's a reading. It was there's pretty a re- dark. There's a reading of this movie, and I guess it's my reading that um, even though it's romantic, that they're bound to repeat it. That it really may not go any better, essentially because of who they are. 
Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. I remember that speech really well. But I think the reason that it keeps you sort of entertained and like, I guess it's sort of out in the end for that is the fact that if you think about it, Clementine as a real person does not really exist in this movie other than like the first five minutes and like the last five minutes. That's true. So like, you don't have to see, because what you're seeing is his memories. It's not what actually happened, yeah. which I think is an interesting thing to bring up too. It's like, and it's also interesting to see what he does remember and how much he doesn't. Cause there are some big gaps in time too. Yeah. Let's remind the listeners that we rate movies on a scale of four gradients yep. chance. Let's, let's run down the list and I'll give an example. Those movies, the first word refers to quality, technical quality execution. The second one refers to watchability and entertainment. So a, so a good, good a, movie would be like um, The Departed, mm-hmm. if you will. And a good, bad movie would be like... Schindler's List. And a bad, good movie would be like... Uh, any sort of Kurt Russell movie where he has to escape from a major metropolitan area that's been turned into some sort of prison. And a bad, bad movie would be like... <laughs> no, bad, bad would be like White Chicks. There you go. Okay, go ahead. Eternal Sunshine has always been and will always be, in my mind, a good, good movie. I agree. I also think it's good, good. And its quick, its quick flourishes to good, uh, to to bad, good, just make it more intriguing. Do you believe there's a part of yourself that you don't show anybody when I'm inside? We try to get into the cell right now. God, let's the get cell. into the cell. A movie that's this is real. This is real, mind you. A movie that Roger Ebert called one of the top ten movies of two thousand. Did he real, really? Real fucking life. <laughs> I really. The cell, do you have a lot of? Res- uh, do you have? Do you have a certain kind of respect for Roger? Um. I mean, like, you know, he's a critic like anybody else. He can buy into something that's, like, real garbage every once in a while. Yeah. Um, which may or may not have happened here. Oh, it did. See, I then read his review of it. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of on the fence, but we'll get to our, our rating on it later. Okay. Um, so the basic premise of this movie is that... There's, we live in a world where this technology exists that you can transport from one brain to another brain and, like, hang out in that conscious for a while. And this technology was created to, like, coax people out of comas, I guess? It's a treatment for people with mental disorders. Right. So you, like, get into their subconscious and, like, deal with the actual human being who's being, like, obscured by, like, the body. I guess. So Vincent D'Onofrio in like the most fucked up performance. I have like, like this movie's the first 10 minutes of this movie are like nearly as cringeworthy as like the worst moments of seven. I would say. Hold on, I've, oh my God. I love that you brought up Fincher. Cause that's a huge touchstone for me in my review of this. Can I quickly say that D'Onofrio is to win Butler? What Mark Ruffalo is to rivers Cuomo in these parts. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Thanks. Go ahead. Keep going. 
But yeah, so then he's uh, this like crazy fucked up serial killer whose thing is he kidnaps a woman, he puts them in a big like indestructible glass tank, and then after like some period of time, like twelve hours, he like incrementally fills this box with water, drowns the woman, and he's not done yet. It gets so much worse. It gets way worse. He then takes the drown, or he videotapes them drowning. He then they drown. He then takes the body, cleans it in an excruciating process. Then he puts the body on like a medical table, and then he hooks himself up to these hooks in his back that he's had surgically implanted rings oh. for. Pulls himself up to the ceiling like akimbo with this other body, <laughs> and. He, like, jerks off onto it, basically. Yeah, as far as you know. I mean, like, he's he's pleasuring him. Like, he's pretty graphically pleasuring himself at one moment. Yeah. And that's the point of the moment where I literally wrote down, I hate this movie. This was funny because I think we can give a little background here. We do want to use this podcast to see new movies. like Right, and I had never seen this one, and I, like, saw... Um, Source code. I... Oh, I already source. I feel like I don't know. I talked out source code when it came out. I don't think I could ever address that garbage movie ever again. So we decided on this, and you know from moment one that even if you haven't made, and I'm not here to spoil anything. Even if you haven't made like a consumer's mistake, you've made some sort of human error by entering into this universe. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> We gotta belong here. No one belongs here. Well, it's weird because it's like mounted, like the, like the first shot, oh you're like in that God. desert and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then like, you know, pretty quickly that like Jennifer Lopez is dressed up in this like white gown. There's like little boy. You can't like get away from a fucking tree stump and then there's like a boogeyman or some shit. And you're like, you can't, st- I feel like you can't have a prologue like that. Yeah. Let's quickly finish the synopsis. So J-Lo plays like a social worker slash therapist who like goes inside people's minds. The only other person she goes inside is the mind of this uh, mentally disabled boy as a form of like treatment to find to find him in his kind of warped mind. And then on the parallel plot line, Noah was talking about the serial killer is captured this woman, but then he goes into like this crazy like coma shock because his like right, lifelong right about when they're because yeah he captured that woman and right about when they're about to capture him he like has a seizure yeah his about. lifelong schizophrenia catches up with him or something and then an fbi agent played by vince vaughn solicits jlo's help to go into the killer's mind and try and find the location of the girl who's in the tank but has not died yet and if you want to picture what happens next think of the worst possible thing that could happen and that's what it is. <laughs> oh, man. Like, going inside a serial killer's minds is unpleasant. It makes for an unpleasant viewing experience. Yes, it does. In what? Also, I think going inside Tarsum Sin's mind makes for an unpleasant viewing experience. This is the right. director, we should say, of two movies I haven't seen but have heard of, Immortals and Mirror Mirror. Yep. And then and he's got the movie Selfless, Selfless like that that's just probably came out, out now, yeah, with Ben Kingsley and Ryan Reynolds. So like this dude, which has been getting like deplorable reviews. Yeah, it's been getting hung from weird hooks itself. 
Um, Ooh. And yeah, panned. Uh, but the best thing about his filmography, did you look it up? Do you know what it is? Wait, what is? I I looked at his IMDb earlier. He directed the Losing My Religion music video. One of my right. I wrote that down. Fa- it looks like yes. It's like the same scene. It's so funny because what he keeps doing, and like we can, if you want to dive into the visuals here, what this movie does, like it's disorienting and yet not disorienting sense of like visual perspective at all, is right. like framing these bizarre theatrical circus monsters in the same frame and then just wiping them away and going to different monsters like the scene where the vulture takes off which is exactly the same things that happens in that uh marquez inspired music video right yeah well it's interesting that you yeah well i thought it was interesting too i was reading a little bit about this but the art in it, and especially the, the the idea of things behind glass, mm-hmm. is inspired by this guy Damien Hurst. Yep, I read that. Yeah, it was interesting, and I looked at some of his art, and it looks like that scene where like the what is it like that moose or something gets uh like cut up in a lot of pieces, but he's all right. I think it's a horse. Yeah. Oh, it's a horse. I kind of I, I was probably watching between my fingers at that point, because <laughs> um, I was so turned off by this film. Uh, well, the the visual, it, it, I found it so strange because this movie had such a greater sense of the grotesque than any other movie I could think of about like right. what it's like to be inside the human mind, but it didn't really invest in like what a camera could do. It was more right. like the most flamboyant theatrical sets you could think of being pulled yeah, it's away. Like, let's have a middle shot of like something. But everything was a middle shot. Exactly, yeah. And and I think the, the visual art thing is really resonates because it's well, the, almost like you experienced everything in 2D, as crazy as it was. Well, you just perfectly uh, segued into if Eternal Sunshine, to me, was a Polaroid photo, then this movie, to me, sees the human mind as a, surreal, a surrealist oil painting. Absolutely. Great point. Like, the movie is shot like an oil painting. Like, it's all these sort of, like, weird but like middle distance shots of like beautiful, but horrifying things. Yep. What happens inside the serial killer's mind? Basically JLo finds a little boy, like the stereotypical tortured boy who becomes a serial killer, who has like a racist, homophobic, abusive dad and grew up in the country. Um, And then D'Onofrio also playing this sort of like, Moulin Rouge-esque, like, gold-caped, gold-horned demon. Can you just imagine, like, the look of horror on his face when they, like, showed him, like, the mock-up designs for, like, what he'd have to wear through the majority of this movie? And even when he's a normal human being, he's got, like, six rings in his back. Yeah. I mean, did it... One of the part... Most... (laughs) One of the things that kept me watching this movie was just to be like... Is that really him? And like trying to find his face in this movie where I like couldn't even find the actor. Similar problem in Jurassic World, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, playing the hits. We're playing the hits. I um, uh, love that. You know what I think? Of, again, speaking of Jurassic Park, did you know that the screenwriter of this movie failed, was commissioned, and failed to write Jurassic World two times? <laughs> didn't know that no <laughs> yeah i was reading that on his imdb trivia that's funny 
What a dark life that must be. He was conscious. Do you think that he would tell you where she is? Are you sure? I'm sure. You bring in this monster, and you're asking her to go into that mind. You know what I love about this movie? Wow, is that, what? Is that Vince Vaughn is in this movie, but, like, not in the first 15 to 20 minutes of it. He's not in giant chunks of this movie. But he's... Yeah, and he's but he's getting progressively worse off screen, like doing something. So every time we come back to him, like it's comical. Like by the end, he's got like three cigarettes in his mouth and he has like a three day beard and like no shirt sleeve. I like when he goes into J-Lo's mind and he instantly becomes like a Best Buy employee. Like, why does he have a yellow shirt and khakis on? Yeah. What are you wearing in the the transom of your mind, (laughs) Chance? Is it like, yeah. Is it an orange polo tucked into some khakis with some comfortable looking shoes? Right. What uh, what corporate technician do you play in your own dream? Right. <laughs> Vince Vaughn though has he has possibly the least to do or play in this movie. The supporting cast in this movie, like, may be the dullest supporting cast of any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm not exaggerating. She's gone very deep into his world. So she's made contact. If uh, Jennifer Lopez can make this guy, like, let go... Yeah. Then, you know, then he'll be okay. Yep. But, But ultimately, she cannot do that. Which I think is an interesting parallel to Eternal Sunshine, whereas, like the thesis of it being something to the effect of you can like change the human mind, but you like can't fix it. I totally agree. This movie, what this movie puts forward in like a, in actually a, despite how fucked up it is a more earnest way than probably any other movie about the human mind. And I don't necessarily mean it as a compliment, but it is earnest is that like, there is an authentic good self um, to, anyone's mind despite all the horrible things it does like one of the only like meaningful conversations that happens outside of the mind is this like back and forth between Vaughn and Lopez about some old case that Vaughn had and how Lopez who has this sort of like liberal social worker outlook on the world is that like you know uh just because she can save everybody yeah just because of the bad things that happen to people doesn't mean that they should hurt other people and that's that you go into these brains and you find you find these authentic selves that uh, that need just need to be let out and or right. murdered because they're connected to the like demonic. Uh, the weird paradox of, of the human mind is that you can't kill your bad self with your good self. Mm. If you're gonna stab the demon, you gotta stab the boy. Those are the right. I say it every day when I wake up. Right. Um, I whisper it while I'm making my morning eggs. <laughs> Well, it's Monday, July 13th, and if you're going to stab the demon, you got to stab the boy. Let's head off to work. That would be a great sign-off as, like, a, a newscaster. You yeah. should hold on to that. <laughs> so funny. Yours can be that. Mine is going to be, uh, I'm building a birdhouse. Wait, what's that? It's David Cross is, like, one of two oh, lines okay. in Eternal Sunshine where he's just smoking a joint in the kitchen building a birdhouse. Let's talk about how... Tarsum Singh loves David Lynch and loves David Fincher, but doesn't understand how movies like come together in the slightest. 
or really like how either of those directors make a movie. No, he just understands like the tonal touchstones of both. Like the right. the very Meaning, like underexpose the film and like have everybody wearing dark colors. Right, like just play a disorienting sound and then give me like an over the shoulder <laughs> shot of Vince Vaughn as he's driving somewhere in a hurry. Like right. I get or that. Or like just touching a weird shape and putting things together in his mind. I love the guy at the beginning who's talking about the serial killer's albino dog, and he just goes. And those are a very rare animal indeed. Like, just because you put a fucking lynchy and kooky old man in this, like, does not right. mean that, like... Okay, here's another thing. Did you ever think... And I feel like you might disagree with me here, but I'm going to put this out there. Did you ever think, at some point, this movie doesn't need to be set in the human mind? Like, it <laughs> could just be set in the real world and be about right. catching a serial killer, and it would be That's fine. That's what I thought was sort of a like another interesting paradox of this movie. Like, for how, like, weirdly over-smart all the cops seem to be, mm-hmm. like, they all know all this weird-ass trivia. Yeah. They don't know to, like, maybe check the background of this weird metal box that they find, like, yeah. in this evidence thing with this pretty clear and distinctive marking on it that only by seeing it again, Vince Vaughn <laughs> understands. Oh, man. Shall we, shall we shall put this bad boy to rest? We're at 90 minutes. Let's put it to rest. Um, let's, let's file him under bad, bad where he belongs. Jump, 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 jump. Done. Okay. Oh, that's incredible. Which leads us to this week's uh, main fight, which we're probably going to agree on because I don't see anywhere we couldn't. Yeah, I don't um, either. Maybe we'll just agree or we'll argue about who's smarter, like basically what we're doing anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Inside Out. Yeah. 2015. It's the latest Pixar movie. Uh, we're in the... A real return to form, I'd say. Yeah, we're in the... There were 20 years since uh, Pixar Feature Links debuted. We are 1995, yeah. Toy Story, 2015, Inside Out. Here we are. 15, yeah. 15 movies in between. And as Pixar often begs the question uh, of what has feelings, well, this time, instead of toys having feelings, monsters having feelings, or cars having feelings, it's feelings that have feelings. Do you ever look at someone and wonder, what is going on inside their head? Basically, you follow the coming of age of a young girl through the perspective of the emotions in her mind dictating both her memories and her behavior. Yep. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. Right. And so you have, it's an animated film, so you have half the shots are like outside this girl, like doing her thing, and half the shots are inside, or maybe more than half are inside. Yeah. And 75% of this movie perhaps exists inside the minds of this girl where these characters who are their emotion or her emotions interact with each other. And occasionally we see the emotions of other people controlling their minds. Yep, Her mom and dad, mostly. That's a great scene. I did like that. I almost wish there were more scenes of that. Yeah, they could, they could have done more. I, I kind of found it a little, a little jarring when we went in there and like a little kind of rushed, but yeah, they, well, let me, they could have well, done let me more. ask you this since you were talking about eternal sunshine being, Kaufman's simplest movie. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought that this was like, you know, yes, on a, like a narrative level, like Eternal Sunshine, it had a lot of ambition, but I just don't think it was like that complicated or that like, it wasn't that ambitious on like a bigger scale, I don't think. 
Can I say that? You can definitely say it. Do you? But do you? Like, I didn't find the animation it... like particularly, like great, and I didn't find like the story like terribly huge. It was just like the science of it was like kind of interesting. Like the weird world that it was trying to explain was interesting. Yeah. But like on a story level, like. I mean, I guess, like, Toy Story's got a pretty simple story, too. And I guess, like, I mean, Monsters, Inc. is, like, sort of more interesting. Um, And The Incredibles is just... And I'm not saying anything new about Pixar movies, like, here. This is, like, what they've been good at for the last 20 years. They're really imaginative, but what I think they're really good at is kind of, like, writing in circles when they build a universe. Like, they... Like, this movie, in a great way does a job of kind of like introducing these like little quirky parts and then what you know or don't know I guess depending on how you're following is that like those will then become like key plot points and bringing us back to like the place that we need to be like in in so many of the in so many of these Pixar movies like people are going on a journey but like they all need to come back to a single thing and all these little characters and things in this movie it's these parts of her of Riley's um, self-conscious, like her imagination, where her dreams right. are made, um, right. and you know that they're going to come back to the to the headquarters where these emotions are kind of controlling where they are. And on the way there, like you get into a lot of hijinks, but every little thing kind of means something, and it's like written. Right. It's written like a really smart writer's room puts together a script. Right. Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! <laughs> yes! Well, I just saved our lives. Ooh. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. <laughs> cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No design? Well, this is a perfect transition into uh, my brilliant point mm. that if Eternal Sunshine is a Polaroid, if the cell is a surrealist oil painting, then Inside Out is like a corporate memorandum. Oh my God. <laughs> Go on. Because like everything is like, well, that's like the weird structure of this movie is like... It, Pixar treats uh, the human mind as if it is like a, a very top heavy corporation. Mm-hmm. And I think that he, be- like the, the, who, the director, the writer believe that like these little balls are just files. Like it's very much like, you know, and the way they communicate is not very direct. Like, did, did you notice that? Like no one really knows what's going on with anything. I think that's really smart. You're totally right. We should say, we should double back here. Joy played uh, or voiced by Amy Poehler is yeah. sort of our protagonist. She's great. Yeah, she's so good. Um is our protagonist inside our actual protagonist's head. Um You know who I think stole the show though. Was Lewis Black. Lewis Black, Black as, was as so anger. good. He was so funny. Oh um, yeah. But yeah, so I read an article the other day that compared that performance to Kronk in Emperor's New Groove in how good it was. <laughs> I love that. That's is it Goodman that plays Kronk? No, it's Patrick Warburton, you fool. Who's Goodman playing that movie? Goodman is Pacha, the peddler. Ah, all right. But anyway, so, yeah, yeah, Joy's been sort of through the own, like, Joy's basically trying to save Riley because Riley has moved with her family to this new place, which has, like, opened her up to all of 
a lot of emotional and like stimuli challenges that she hasn't faced before. And so like Joy wants right. to take control of this literal console in her head and and all these other people, Lewis Black, who plays right, anger. you're controlled by your the, the basically the the statement is you're controlled by your emotions. Yeah, um, but she gets sort of like launched away into another uh, part of the brain, and she's trying to get back and help Riley as she's trying to adjust to this new setting. So, well, I thought it was sort of interesting, Chance, and let me see if you, you want to unpack this at all. Yeah, um, I, I felt it was just sort of interesting that. Well, do you think that her getting sucked up into that tube, like, represented anything? Like, it doesn't seem like... Because that was, like, the weird question for me about the movie, is that, like, is this part of the plan, or is this girl suffering unnecessarily? I think, if I'm following you, it's part of the plan. Because another crucial, to explain, another crucial structure of this is these things called, like, goofball island family island honesty island these things that have essentially formed riley's personality to this to this point and they surprisingly easily fall away and crumble as she's facing these new challenges and what right and but basically and it's yeah to not spoil anything the the point is that this 11 12 year old girl is becoming a more complicated person which is which is what happens and so what what's what's really sharp i think is that like these fairly simple five emotions that have like essentially rallied around to like make this baby toddler child happy are like challenged and pushed around and like everything becomes more complicated and so to answer your question yes i think it's I think it's natural that quote unquote joy is sort of like sucked back and forced to like reinvent itself and bring new things with it and yeah, yeah expand and become more complicated. Well, I think it's interesting too. And it <clears throat> plays into the Pixar um, greatest hits in the fact that like ultimately, I mean, all these movies are exploring what it means to lose one's innocence. Yes. And this movie literally is just about like what it physically looks like to lose innocence. Yeah. And that's true. to grow up yep. and to become, you know, the toy that Andy doesn't play with anymore. But like, what's the emotion there? And it really like, it physically personifies that process. I think, and I think it's, yeah, that's really smart. And my similar theory is that I think that the central relationship in this movie is between Joy, voiced by Amy Poehler, and Sadness, voiced by Phyllis from The Office. Um, and basically, the thing is, like, you have to understand that it takes a diverse emotional palette to create a person, and it takes an increasingly diverse emotional palette to create an adult person. But right. I think that this is sort of like, the this Inside Out is the direct projection of also what's been happening in all of these Pixar films, if you think about like sort of the buddiness and the juxtaposition of Toy Story between cynical and optimism, it's Woody and Buzz, it's Dory right. and Nemo's dad, it's Mike Wazowski and John Goodman. Like it's all of the like all of these movies have sort of been pushing toward like you know it takes a few like sides of things to create like an enjoyable emotional and like healthy experience for everyone, right? And this movie is kind of right. like the um, like the physicality of what all the movies the last 20 years have been about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, Pixar is at its best when it has these movies that are like 
super zoomed in, if you understand what I'm for sure. Do you understand like what I'm yeah. Micros- like microscope, not a telescope. Right, exactly. It's not like yeah, and I just thought it was so interesting too, and I think it plays into like how a child sort of reads uh memories, is the idea like even the shots of her in the outside world are very close because she can't really like see because she's physically small and like doesn't really understand how the world works like wide shots yet. Yeah, that's true. Like even when they're like driving past like the Golden Gate Bridge, you only see like a little bit of it. That's yes, absolutely. These are Riley's memories and they're mostly happy. You'll notice not to brag. <laughs> but the really important ones are over here. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important time in Riley's life. Uh, like when she first scored a goal. Oh, that was so amazing. But I think that's interesting because of what I would also say, and of course disagree, but what I found this movie really interesting because I, I found it to be almost for adults like, I right. struggle to think, and I think this is unlike most Pixar movies, I struggle to, I, obviously a kid could enjoy it, but I struggle to think what a kid would actually conceptualize out of this movie. And I thought it was so... I think it'd be pretty complicated. I think the concept of it was really for, like, teenagers and parents. Well, what I think is interesting, too, about, like, as I've seen it, I've, I mean, I've thought about it more, and I thought about it two weeks ago... The idea that, like, what what is it saying, too? I mean, a kid wouldn't understand that. But, like, I think what it's saying is, like, sort of more interesting and, like, how it says it is more interesting than, like, you know, it being a good story. And that makes me think that it's not good, good. Interesting. It might be a good movie, but I don't know that it's that watchable. The metaphor... And the concept is so for adults and it's so inside that it doesn't have the compulsive watchability of something that built a world around this right. sort of like goofy, obscure, childlike thing. Well, that was the... It's not for kids. That was like the, it was the realization I had when I walked out of the theater when I was just like, man, I wish that had like not been animated. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just don't get why it was animated. Or it could have been like a weird like the the page master where it was like half and half um oh wow the, okay hold on i want to mark a be real guys moment when the page master was brought up for the first time that's uh, hysterical keep going uh, anyway but no i just i don't i don't know i mean yeah it's fine it's a well-made f- a film i don't think it's one of pixar's best um it's it's good but I think it. I don't think it's that watchable. I think I'm gonna have to vote good bad. Okay, I'm gonna go good good. But I see what you're saying. Um, Didn't you flicker a little bit? I flickered a little bit because, because it's, I, we're thinking of it in different ways. But I think we're in the same point. Like it's not for kids. Like you you didn't right. wor- you didn't build a universe around something that kids that will like expand kids imagination. You built something that will expand adults imagination and be like an odd sort of teaching tool for kids. Right. And that in its own way is just a little inaccessible in a way right. that like a lot of these movies aren't, but it's, it's a movie constructed so densely that it 
caused A.O. Scott's review to be titled The Defense of Sorrow. <laughs> I love A.O. Oh, man. <laughs> we made it, buddy. Dude, we got to the end. Oh, my this was, God. <laughs> this one was a real test. Oh, I have to say. I think we're shaking, th- we're shaking off the rust a little bit. We're shaking <laughs> off the first 40 minutes a little bit. Let's never let this long go between recording that, ever again. That's the lesson. I I think it is. I got rusty, man. I got cocky. Oh man. And I'm gonna. I want this to be the first time on Be Real, guys, that I say our show today was produced by Chance Solemn Pfeiffer. Thank you. I am merely but a pawn. You're welcome, buddy. It's my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, please follow us on Be Real, guys. Real spelled like a film reel. And shoot us emails, questions, comments, concerns. I handle the concerns. Chance handles everything else. That's the way. To berealguys at gmail.com. Chance, any parting words about life, about the human mind and its constructs? Uh, I can't. What was I can't remember my line from before. <laughs> what was the thing that we said was going to be a send-off? Do you remember? Oh, I damn it <laughs> i can't believe i don't remember god damn it you can't it's like you can't stab the the bad man without killing the good you can't stab the demon without killing the good boy can't stab the demon without killing the boy and i'll see you next week on okay love you buddy and i'm noah ballard and i'm building a birdhouse bye everyone everybody's gonna learn sometime.